Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What say you, Richard Ellick Murdoch? Are you guilty or not guilty of the felonies wherein you stand and die? Not guilty. How shall you be tried? By God and my country. The exact time when Paul and Maggie Murdoch were murdered. At the end of the investigation, it was obvious. I'm not here to work with them. Okay. And the whole point is to have this not fall into the wrong hands. This case is unique, it's unprecedented in South Carolina history. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to evacuate the building. Beautiful courthouse, mm -hmm. uh, set the scene here. There's a back door that I really wanted to go out of, but mm -hmm. it's locked. And it goes out onto this portico, I guess I'd call it. It's the front part of the courthouse. And I understand that when you graduate from high school here, you often go on those steps to take the high school picture. But it was locked. Well, it was unlocked for this because <laughs> there, to get everyone out, you needed yeah. more exits uh, to be available. So we were able to walk out calmly. Good. through those wonderful front steps there and uh, go out and it swept through pretty quickly that it was mm -hmm. a bomb scare that people knew that yeah we heard that from the defense team actually mm -hmm. that's how we got word and we put it out there right away mm -hmm. tara actually our reporter um who i was reporting with at that moment she got on immediately and let everybody know that she had heard from the defense team that it was um indeed a bomb square i think it was the yeah first time we'd heard the that. breaking news there and so we then had this unbelievable very unfortunate in a lot of ways though because it, for the not the first time, but this was a day where things were rolling. Mm -hmm. It was very organized and witnesses were testifying. A lot of information was uh, presented to the jury in, yeah. in, the, in, the, in the couple hours we had of testimony. So big break uh, in, in that. And what was it like? Two, and Judge Newman did say, we'll take our lunch break as well. Right. Which is appropriate. So it was about two hours. Two it was, hours. It was maybe a little bit over two hours. Not in too the bad. End. Not too bad. Now, um, one, one, one thing I would say, having. You know, just to launch into this, uh, if you don't mind, I will, uh, I've been with these jurors because the, so the rumor was sort of swirling around, oh, is this going to intimidate the jurors or it's going to be a problem here? I will say I've been with them from day one when we came back, mm -hmm. very calm, very deliberate. And I'm really confident that these folks, if there was an effort to intimidate anyone, it, 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 it's, it will not work. They seem to be right back on task. And I was very pleased with uh, their demeanor. I, I totally agree with you. And one thing that was running through my mind, and we'll see how this goes in the future, but we had two big school groups there. We had a group of journalism students right. from um, USC. Right. And we also had, them, and yeah. hopefully they're listening tonight. I hope that, I hope we, we uh, have you uh, chiming in. You can always look at our uh, Facebook Live, our Twitter, and our, our YouTube. If you have any questions, TikTok. Um, if you have any questions, pop up. We'll try and get them answered if we can in a timely fashion. But um, yeah, so we had these young kids and then we mm -hmm. had a whole another school group from like a high school nearby because 
uh, Becky Hill is amazing at bringing in these kids so that they can see this historical trial that's taking place, not just mm-hmm. because it's a Murdoch that's on trial, but because of the, the, the legal ramifications of a case like this and how it could affect our legal system for Yeah, and I thought it was really neat, forward. too. Yeah, they were journalism students, right? With the, they with were. The, and I thought that was really them. great that they were there to see the cover of the coverage, right? Because it's yeah. something. The coverage is, is intense here. Yeah, so that that happened, which uh, is um, which was unfortunate that that happened. But mm. now um, we're going to listen to a little bit about the testimony that was going on. Did you want to say anything about what happened there, or are you good? And um, Max, I do hear something in the background right now. I'm not quite sure what that is. I don't. Hear it's not a bomb threat, is it? No, I don't <laughs> think so. It's okay. not coming through. I had me. some. I don't know about you, Charlie. Speaking, no, fine. someone's talking in the background. Um, anyway, but if you don't hear it, um, let's go and move forward into uh, what happened with Annette Griswold. She takes this uh, stand today. The jury gets to mm-hmm. hear from her. She is filling mm-hmm. in the holes of CFO Jeannie Seconder. Um, what happened with her testimony? Let's let's roll tape. I'm not the There's something on Oh, sorry. Um, well, technical having, difficulties. Yeah, That's okay. It's day 13 of this trial, and you guys, it's been a day 13 if I've ever seen one in my life. Right. Um, Drew, talk to us a little bit about Annette Griswold. Uh, I thought she was, again, another powerful witness for the state, mm-hmm. uh, just because of how prepared she seemed and how confident she seemed. Unflat unflappable, unfazed, uh, would be some things I would use to describe her up there on the stand. She had her stuff together. She knew her days and dates and what, what was going on. And she came through as very credible, I think in the process. Um, again, we, we joked between ourselves just a little bit about this before we went on, went live. Uh, it was another instance of some candor, shall we say from, from a, from one of the people testifying for the state in that she got up there and said she was describing, and I thought this was incredibly telling, describing the differences in Alex's personality before the boat crash, after the boat crash, and after the murders. And one of the more telling things was she said he, quote, had his butt on his shoulders uh, after that boat crash. Uh, She didn't use butt. She used a a little bit more colorful language, uh, synonym for a donkey, shall we say. Uh, but it was, it was again, uh, it, as we're trying to prove the state of mind, the, mm-hmm. tell the whole story, the res gesti, and, and get to that extraordinary theory of motive for the state, I thought it was more than valuable hearing what she had to say and her interpretations of mm. Alec and, and the, way, the way he was before and after. Yeah, I think so, too. And um, I think we're ready to play this clip now. Before we play it, I just want to set it up. You know, we've heard from Annette Griswold. She's filling in the holes of what CFO Jeannie Seconder said the day before. Basically, that they were very suspicious, that that something was wrong. Jeannie had gone uh, on June 7th, uh, the afternoon of this double murder of Alec and Maggie, Mm -hmm. or, you know, around that time. Um, And hours later... You know, there's this horrible, horrific murder right. takes place. Right, right. Um, this is how we hear Annette said 
the reaction was to the murders. We, we were like, please lock our doors. Um, you know, we're scared. Who is the same dad? Is it a client retaliating? Um, is it, you know, aimed at Ellick? Is it aimed at the firm? We didn't know. We just had so many questions, no answers, a million thoughts running through our heads. We were just there, you know, supporting each other and helping one another through this grieving process. And at the same time, we were very protective over Ellick and Randy. We wouldn't let them leave the office if strange cars were driving around. We would say, mm -hmm. don't walk out yet. There's a white car that's went around three times. I mean, we were in complete mama bear mode. So this is right after the murders. Um, everybody's terrified. They're, they're, they're horrified at what's happened to Maggie and Paul. This is a very small community. They're all close friends. Um, we've heard about the Brotherhood of the Law Firm. We've seen it. We've heard so much testimony already. This is just another layer. Now we're really hearing how it's like trickled down into all parts of Alex's life. Nobody's talking about financial allegations of misdeeds, right? No, and uh, just from a legal standpoint, too, I was really uh, very interested in her testimony because to, to, to paint the scene here uh, a bit as well, she, of course, is his longtime paralegal, mm -hmm. and she handled the more serious cases for Alec. And uh, my, my firm handles similar type cases, and I was just, and boy, I mean, the paralegal is so valuable. But when she went through... I was just impressed with her expertise. Oh, we handle premise liability, workers comp, med mal, and we do it this way. And she, she just came across as somebody who's very, very competent mm -hmm. professional. And struck me as, uh, you know, she had just what I would call real leadership qualities. You weren't gonna, she, she was gonna handle her role appropriately in the law firm and needed the income. She talked about her, I guess her husband died of a heart single attack, mom. single mom, yeah, that was, that was very compelling. But as she described, uh, her relationship with Alec, I really thought that she connected so well with the jurors. And she did such a great job of tying again, tying together so many loose ends. And she's the one that really, don't you think, started the, the whole situation. Yeah. She reported her concerns to the CFO and was strong enough to do that and mm -hmm. went through and she caught the, these little minor details. For example, the the forge check writing it's uh -huh. a very good name isn't it forge forgery check writing really is what you it, can't what forget it, it. Yep. Uh, and so um she noticed that that was being done when she was not at the office mm -hmm. what's the big rush and uh, not to get into weeds here too much but she explained why it wasn't necessary to rush through these things but in one case it's a workers compensation lien and not to bore the listeners too much with this, but you, you can't settle what's called a third-party case until the workers' compensation uh, matters handled because they have an interest in the third party. You can't disperse. And she said, what's the rush on dispersing? So when I'm hearing her say all these things, this lady's really in the middle of uh, knowing what's going on. Mm -hmm. And her antenna were up that it was um, a very, um, I thought, telling moment for me that she, and the fact that I'm sure it wasn't easy for her, right? I mean, for her to be there that she... Um, she, she, I know, but it, you, you, to your point too, she did describe how this, this kind of dual personality of Alec, we've heard quite a bit here, right? The, 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 the language you use, they also talked about him being a Tasmanian devil late in the afternoon sometimes and being in a flurry. So I was just really impressed with her and it, and that word she used fluttered on the back end of that but we've got we we've should got talk that about that because it, it was great yeah but I, I you know just to to expound on that a little bit i mean i do think that alec was um 
you know, the chaos that he caused was sounding more and more purposeful in the testimony that we've heard, that the chaos was part of the plan. The less people understood, it's just, once again, the shell game of you don't know what's under what. And um, the more he kept people in the dark, the easier it would be to carry through with um, these alleged crimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that was, I'll be honest, uh, uh, looking back at the Russell Lafitte federal trial, that was the whole premise of Russell Lafitte's defense. Alec Murdoch was a master mm -hmm. manipulator, uh, to quote uh, to quote his defense attorney, uh, Lafitte's defense attorney, Bart Daniel, he was a world-class con man. Mm -hmm. And he, someone attested to this yesterday. I don't know if it was Seconder or Crosby or somebody, or it might have been Annette Griswold today. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm having trouble pinpointing exactly mm -hmm. who said it, but they said essentially, looking back, they have trouble believing that some of his absent-mindedness and things of that nature weren't purposeful. Mm -hmm. um, he would, he could con you. He could, he could talk you into be believing him very easily. And they even attested that, that that was part of his, right, that was part of his success as an attorney. It, it wasn't that he had so much technical skill. He was a great reader. Gift of, of gab. Yeah, he could, he could, he could work you into doing what he wanted you to do and make it, sounds like he was the type of guy that could make you think it was your idea all along. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, it's kind of guy that you just want to please, probably too, mm -hmm. to some degree. Mm -hmm. Max, tell me, you got? Do you have something for us here? Yeah, somebody asked, "Do we know what he spent the money on?" Do we? Uh, yeah, uh, for great question. Do we know what what he spent the money on in in terms of the all of this money, these millions of dollars, right? Uh, by and large, uh, a lot of it went to pay off his his personal debts. Um, he was constantly, constantly, constantly. And this is going to come out, I think further throughout the trial, uh, as, as soon as tomorrow, I think, we're probably going to hear from somebody from Palmetto State Bank talking about the just astounding overdrafts and uh, negative balances. balances and credit card balances that he was carrying. He was in a, no sooner than money was coming in, was it going out? And he was, his accounts were constantly in the red. It was it. The question I think a better question is what wasn't he spending the money on, and that's still one we we probably don't have a full picture of what wasn't he spending the money on. But the the big ones were debt, his own personal mm -hmm. debt, and he eventually resorted to stealing from his own clients to pay back those debts. Well, so you feel comfortable? There's no missing money here. You think that there's enough going out that it accounts for. I, I'm, he also had a very good income, correct? As a, yeah. As, as a tennis attorney, on top of the money he stole. I'm not that confident to say that specifically that there's no missing money. I think there probably is some that's mm -hmm. unaccounted for. And we even heard, uh, we even heard last week in mm -hmm. the in camera hearings with the sled forensic uh, account uh, accounts examiner who looked at all of Murdoch's income and mm -hmm. expenditures. Uh, he was saying he eventually had to stop himself or else he'd have been there forever trying to track that. You can track a dollar forever is basically what he said. And he mm -hmm. put he put limits on himself, uh, like one level of expenditure out from the accounts to see where it was going um, just to for his own sanity and for the sake of time in tracking it. I, I think with the, a proper amount of time and a broader workforce, SLED prob could probably tell us 
down to the penny where some of that money was going, but we have a major general idea of where some of the more nefarious expenditures right. were going. Uh, that was, and that is to be continued, right? Like mm-hmm. we yeah, got yeah. more on that one. Right. I want to. So there was a turning point. Um, as again, another turning point as far as what um, Griswold was talking about today, and this kind of leads into what we think will be testimony by Friday um, on on his relationships and where this money was going and how he was spending some of the money more than nefarious ways he was spending it. Um, Annette Griswold, let's listen to what she says. This is September. She's missing fees um, from a specific account. We don't really have to, we can't go into it, but a specific account. He said over and over again to him, no, I never got that money. That money doesn't exist. I haven't gotten that money. This is tens of thousands of dollars. This isn't just like- $792,000. There you go, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So there's, there's a lot of money. Um, and here's what Annette Griswold discovers when she goes into his office to just pick up a couple of files. A check kind of floated like a feather to the ground. And when I bent over to pick it up, I saw the check and what it said and had on it. And I instantly became very upset because it happened to be one of the checks from the Ferris case that didn't exist. And what did you see on the check that let you know that stuck out in your mind? It was from Chris Wilson's office. It was written to Richard Alexander Murdoch, and at the bottom it said Ferris fees. And, and it was dated March. <laughs> and so what did you realize at that I point? I said, well, I said, he's been lying this whole time. What an unbelievable shock. I mean, I mean, you know, she's, I mean, yeah, I mean, to my earlier point here you get this paralegal that she knew enough not to you know the third not again not to get too technical but you, you, you the work you, you get the workers comp settlement you, you you can't settle the third party meaning the the, the the money coming that's not covered by workers comp until you get approval through the workers comp system to settle that because they've got a claim on that money so here you got another just astute paralegal check fluttering and the happenstance, it reminded me of the, of the Forrest Gump movie, right, where they see that feather floating and how life gets affected by random events. We'll hear this random event where she finds this check. And so what then happens? We now know that after this, that this chain of events starts occurring, and then we'll hear more about this, I believe, later on with Witness Wilson, right, where he gets confronted a couple of days later, and then we have the botched assisted suicide right, right after this. And so I think this fluttering wouldn't you say, cause these other events? Well, it was right then. I mean, as soon as that happened, they were able to, it turned out Jeannie Seconder was running numbers, wasn't she? Yeah, it happened at the same time. And I think, again, this is really strong to the state's mm-hmm. theory of motive and that his world was crumbling around him. And it, it, the, the bill was coming due, so to speak, uh, on his mm-hmm. deceit and his thefts. Um, and he knew... You mentioned something a moment ago, Charlie, about a part of her testimony where she said, essentially, some of this stuff started happening, some of this peculiar stuff started happening when she wasn't in the office, specifically after she had questioned him a few times early on about what, wait, 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 this, this isn't how this is supposed to work. Right. Yeah. Are you sure? Are you sure? And I I think one of the more powerful things that, that we heard, ended up hearing from Annette was she's confident. She's good at her job. She knows something's not right, and yet when it was time to speak up and stand up, 
she had this immense fear. Uh, again, to, to, to the point you made, uh, she's a single mom. Her husband, right. she's very dependent on this income, right. and she has to make a choice. Do I go and mm-hmm. raise uh, raise concerns and potentially lose my career? Like her, her daughter even told her, "It's like, mom, get your yeah, resume ready right. if you're gonna if you're gonna go and pursue this. Get your resume ready." And she said, "You know what? No." And she. Uh, Bravery, uh, bravery for sure. She went and she did the right thing, and it ended up. I think Creighton Waters made this very astute point. Wasn't Annette Griswold that got fired? It's Alec Murdoch. Yes, yeah. and it, it's well, and it, it happened so quickly, and the, it 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 was a chain of events afterwards that was just there was no stopping mm-hmm. the train at that point, right? Mm-hmm. So you have this uh, moment where uh, Griswold discovers this check that actually is the money that they've been looking for, and he has adamantly said he didn't have. You have Seconder all of a sudden running these reports, and it's just obvious there's a problem. They get to the law partners. We know that part of the story. We know that Randy Murdoch, his brother, has to be told, look, it it looks like Alex has been stealing money from the firm. Um, Alex forced to resign and uh, to be continued. Is yes. where we're going to go because we've got a lot to uncover over the next couple of days. We do hear from sources that we have that Eddie Smith um, is going to be coming to testify. And Eddie Smith, of course, cousin Eddie, um, the defense says he's his longtime drug dealer. Um, we've heard testimony in, I've been how many times up to court in Columbia to hear what's going on with Eddie Smith and all kinds of charges that are going to be coming down. That um, that that are involved with drugs, uh, so there's a lot of reason to think that we're going to have a lot more testimony coming this week about what happened in that assisted botched suicide attempt. Yes, yes, Charlie. What did you think of? Uh, we'll we'll go into uh, legal <laughs> legal strategy mode here for a minute. What did you think of Jim Griffin's ploy? or play, uh, employed has a negative connotation. I think I'm not trying to mm-hmm. be negative, but Jim Griffin's play to say, Hey, your honor. All right. If we're going to, if we're going to read this letter and we're going to, you know, give context on this letter, uh, for backstory, this letter, it, it, Alex sent a letter to Annette Griswold from drug rehab. A text, it, yeah. yeah. And it was also, I think, addressed to his other paralegal. And when Creighton waters for the state, introduced it he mentioned that it was sent while alec was in rehab uh and coming back after a short break jim griffin's like hey we're about to cross the bridge and no return here if we start mentioning uh the drug rehab i don't think we should mention it your honor in fact i think we should not only not mention the drug rehab i think we i think we should go back and strike every bit of this financial information that we you've already allowed so far and judge newman didn't do that and then what happens next Creighton Waters doesn't say anything about too much about the drug rehab or anything like that. But Jim Griffin, the person who just lobbied not to even not have it allowed, Jim Griffin comes in and reads the whole letter and goes deep into. <laughs> I thought it was uh, it was amazing just yeah. to watch that. What's let me what, tell you what's why? going on there. Let me tell you what's going on there because I was fascinated by that back and forth because I prosecute a lot of cases. Firm now handles criminal defense. So here's the horns of the dilemma that Attorney Griffin. I thought he handled it well. The where we are in the trial, the judge has admitted all the financial information to prove motive. 
And so in the text message, what? We have a new issue here. It's drug usage at a rehab. Alec Murdoch injury rehab. Yeah, which could. The whole story. Yeah, and so Jim stood up, Attorney Griffin stood up and said, Your Honor, just subject to our uh, usual objections. And then the judge looked, said, I haven't seen it. So let me talk. So he read it. He says, well, there's a new issue here. You've got drug usage, which can go to character. Uh, do you want this submitted without objection, subject to your other, only other objection? That's when he then got into this, well, we want you to strike everything, no denied. So then Judge Newman, I thought would handle it brilliantly, is, well, it's coming in, but I'll take out the drug usage if you want me to. Then Jim conferred with Dick, uh, Attorney Hartputley, and the others on how do I handle this? And the upshot of it all, let's let it all in, right? Let's let it go. Here we go. And so now we have the drug issue in the trial now, which mm-hmm. was not referenced in opening statement, right? But publicly, before the trial, crap, get wrong, because y'all have more intimate knowledge than I do. That was all I heard was all this money was mm-hmm. spent on drug usage. He's in rehab. They had used it as their crutch for a lot of the, the bad acts, right? Yeah, right now, or all the things that they right. were talking about was this drug usage. I, we don't know why it was all the, I don't know. Okay. And, 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 and once again, we, we're, we're getting to a place where, where we have to wait to see where the next piece of the puzzle comes. Max, did you have something else for us before we yeah, wrap this up? People have been asking about, you know, Paul's friends have been testifying, but we haven't seen anything about Maggie's friends or family. No one's been there about Maggie. Wow, this is, great question. People are just wondering, like, yeah, are they there? Question. Are they going to no. testify? Anything like that? Yeah, I'll take this one and maybe I pardon the personal, but I've been involved with lots of murder prosecutions, Mm -hmm. right? And I must say, I don't know if I've ever been involved with a case where the blood family of the murder victim, one of them, hasn't been in attendance. Mm. So there's got to be something going on there. And I suspect maybe it's the intense media pressure and attention on this yeah. that, that that and I, they know I, all eyes would be on mm-hmm. them and we're talking about maggie's parents right. primarily mm-hmm. we've seen um buster we've seen his girlfriend we've got lynn murdoch who's been coming every day that's alex's sister john marvin has been in attendance the whole time his wife's been in intense for the most part and so has randy on several days not every day yeah but several I'll, days i'll mention this too and this is to me also really I mean, this trial has everything, right? But when I ran for attorney general, one of my big issues was the Victim's Bill of Rights. It's in the state constitution, and it's now been funded by the General Assembly. So in every case, in this criminal case in South Carolina with a victim, you get a victim advocate. Mm-hmm. I met her today. That's, yes, Miss Allen, right? Yeah. So if you step back from this, you've got the defendant's family also being in the victim category, right? right. So she's got this... Uh, very challenging task, which mm-hmm. I think she's handling really well, the victim advocate. to, And, of course, he's being accused, the dad being accused of, of Buster, of course, of murder. Right. Right. And so here we are. There's kind of a dual role going on here because her office is prosecuting the victim's father, if you're catching all this. So yep. there's just so much going on in this case. I must say, I don't know if I've ever been involved with anything that has so many layers of complexity, both uh, factually and legally and really historically and probably yeah, culturally and it's as changing. well. It's changing every day. And that's why when I mean, you guys hear us say things that were like, wait a minute, we just took a left turn. We took a right turn. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen because honestly, I think the prosecution and defense both have to act. Um, uh, they're also dealing with some moves right now on mm-hmm. offense. 
as they get through this, like what just happened to Griffin? Oh yeah, we had a glitch. We, had a we don't have enough time to talk about it. There's a technical glitch on downloading some information for the expert witness who was testifying, which is we can talk about tomorrow. Fascinating, there's apparently going to be, and it has been adduced into, into evidence or into testimony that the expert has had a lot of information that took well, him a year. On the OnStar system. It took him one year to unlock it. It came out of the car. Mm -hmm. All we have is the first part of this, mm -hmm. you know, and we're trying to, as journalists, trying to take in this information and, and share it with you guys. But honestly, we got such a small piece of the puzzle mm -hmm. today. All we know really are some time stamps and... Right. I mean, really, like we could speculate right now, um, but the it's ice. on the truck that Alec was driving, we think, um, and take going to Almeida the night of the murders and then coming back. But you know, they're not telling us that; they're just telling us timestamps and and technical mm -hmm. stuff. I so. can, I think I can briefly sum this up to close us out because okay. I have a, a point I want to make about it. So what we heard at the end of toward the end of the day before we abruptly adjourned um, was that it took the investigators a year to basically crack the code on how to get the data off of the infotainment system in Alex Chevy Suburban SUV. They sent it to SLED, SLED couldn't do it, SLED sent it to the FBI. It took the FBI a year to get the info. And once they got the info, they had to go through a whole lot of, they basically had to reverse engineer the infotainment system and the computer within the infotainment system because as the, the FBI agent testified, it was encrypted. He'd never seen anything like it. And, and he made the point it was not encrypted by anybody on the back end. It was encrypted by the manufacturer, General Motors. Right. The, the, the computer within the infotainment system was encrypted. So they had to reverse engineer the encryption um, and basically start from scratch on learning how to read and understand this computer data. And they did a whole bunch of testing. It took them a year to get it done. And all they were basically able to come up with is some very granular uh it almost not you don't want to say inexact but imperfect data and the most reliable thing they could come up with is they could reliably say based on the data that they knew when the car shifted into out of park and back into park right. and based on the car shifting out of park and into park they were able to determine on around a little after 9 p.m on june 7th 2021 Alex's car shifted out of park and was out of park for 16 minutes. 9.21 p.m., it's back in It's back in park for about 21 minutes, or somewhere along in there. Uh, it, it, for about 21 minutes, it was in park, then it was out of park again, and then there were some very random, uh, like, peculiar starts and stops. You know, with it, the, the inference being he drove from, given the timestamps, he drove from Moselle to his mother's house, according to his alibi. He was there for 20 minutes, not 30 or 40, like he tried to apparently say to um, persuade his mother's caretaker to say the the timestamps on his car showing it starting up at, or shifting out of park at those times. But a lot to look into tomorrow with his, he seemed to drive straight there, but on the way back, a lot of peculiar. Like yes. little stops and starts and stops. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Now my two big points on this. Okay. Only two? Uh, we go back. Let's think to let's think back to where we were in June of 2022, Anne. Yeah, we, uh, I know we exactly did a, we where did I was. Whole, we did a whole podcast. Yep. 
it's been a year. Why have there been no charges? Why yeah. we have all these financial charges, but why have there been no charges in right. this murder? I knew he was going to go with this. Okay, yes. What What sorry. are the two big things we've learned so far in this case that explain the extraordinary extraordinary delay? And that is, it took the took investigators what nine months to unlock Paul's phone, and it took them a year to unlock the data on Alex. SUV. Good point. And they made, at the very beginning of the trial, if you'll remember it, Creighton Waters got up in front of that jury and he held up a phone. And he said, this right here, the data from this thing that we all carry in our hands, it's going to prove that he did what we say he did. He proved that he murdered his wife and son. And it's now coming into clearer scope. What was taking so long? It's, it's massively uh, it was complex. it was frustrating to everybody and there was a lot of talk. So that I totally agree with you. I think... I think they are doing a, a masterful job of explaining exactly why. And it wasn't it wasn't AG's office or SLED holding them up. Oh, there's was there anything else, Max? Was there something that you had to tell us? No, we're good. Okay, we're out. We're gonna um, wrap this up now. Um, we are gonna have a lot more on all of this, especially this OnStar system. I'm thinking that's gonna be coming up really soon. We don't know. It's up to the prosecution on their order. So we're gonna bring the, the latest to you on day 14. Tomorrow is day 14 of this trial. Um, I think we're gonna have a lot of new information. Thanks so much for joining us. I good, appreciate it. Good for all of us here 13. at Unsolved South Carolina, we'll, um, we'll talk to you soon. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.